Welcome to Reality with the King. I'm Carlos King, the king of reality TV. For those of you who don't know me, let me give you a little backstory about why everyone calls me the king of reality TV. I have been producing high-profile TV for over 10 years, and I'm responsible for some of the most unforgettable moments in reality TV history, like The Real Housewives of Atlanta, seasons one through four, and six through nine, and the first two seasons of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I was the magician behind those marvelous women, honey. Yes! (laughs) So look, Teresa's table flip. Yeah, honey, your boy was there hiding underneath the table, making sure that book was on display. I have done spinoffs with the Real Housewives franchise, like Candy's Wedding and Candy's Ski Trip, while also building an empire of my own. I now run my own production company called Kingdom Rain Entertainment, where I created shows like Selling Hollywood, BT Presents The Encore, and Hollywood Divas. And I just launched a new franchise, Love and Marriage. That's right, Love and Marriage is coming to DC with none other than Mrs. Monique Samuels. Gag, honey. Yes. I mean, get into my resume. As Beyonce said, check my credentials. I give you everything you want and everything you need. Come on, B. So here on Reality with the King, you guys are getting an established reality TV producer to discuss all things reality television. We'll sit down with my friends across the entertainment industry, recap our favorite shows, and revisit unforgettable moments that we are still talking and tweeting about. Hey, y'all. So look, my first guest on Reality with the King is none other than the honey, Miss Ebony K. Williams. Her announcement as the first Black housewife of the Real Housewives of New York City immediately took social media by storm. And we were all so excited for her reality TV debut. Unfortunately, her portrayal on the show ruffled a few feathers. A couple of those feathers were mine, child. (laughs) With the cast and for those watching at home. And for that very reason, I knew I needed to sit down with Ebony not only to get her take on Bravo's unprecedented decision to split The Real Housewives of New York City into two shows, but also to get the chance to get to know Ebony for ourselves. Now let's get into my conversation with Miss Ebony K. Williams. Andy Cohen announced that The Real Housewives of New York City was going to be split into two shows. One called, at you know, working title, but one called The Real Housewives of New York City Legacy or The OGs, which is about, of course, the familiar faces of the franchise. And the other one is going to be called The Real Housewives of New York City, except this one, and I quote, will be a multicultural cast of real friends. Ebony, when you first learned of this information, where were you? What happened? And did you find out along with us peasants, i.e. the audience? So I was right here in this Airbnb and I was working and I got a, I did get an advanced call from production to let me know um, the details. 
How much in advance, though, girl? You know, I can't say. Okay. I can't say. I can't say. Was it was it hours before? It was enough for me to not be shocked when you, when 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 the general populace found out I was informed. And I was in my feelings for about two seconds, only because, you know, I feel very strongly that I did everything in my power, everything I knew to do, everything I could do to show up um, full throttle as my inaugural season as a housewife. I feel very strongly that several of the aspects of the traditional housewife experience, which you know all too well because you helped curate the shit, um, were absent from my season. We're in a lockdown. It's New York, so it's not the same as a lockdown in other parts of the country. It was no dice. There was um, no international trip. There was no glamour. There was no glitz. So it just was lacking of the fun that Housewives is known for. So I was looking forward to coming back season 14. No questions asked to have that real, like almost like a duo. Mm -hmm. You know, I was looking forward to that experience. So when I got the call that that's not happening, we're starting from the ground up. And essentially, you, just like every other bitch in New York, will have the same opportunity <laughs> to present a coalition of your actual social circle that represents the diversity of New York's it women, and we'll go from there. So essentially, you know, it's starting over from the ground up. So I, I did feel a way about that emotionally for about two seconds. And then I put my big girl panties on, Carlos. And I said, this is actually more than fair to me. From a network perspective, and frankly, just from a consumer of content perspective, the audience deserves to see what has always made Housewives successful, which is not a, a plug and play, you know, casting situation. It is a curation of an existing friend group of women of different personalities, different dynamics, different aspects coming together and living that out loud for television. That's Housewives. Not what it had become in New York, which was, listen, it was that in the beginning. And then they realized that's um, a slight to the city of New York mm -hmm. because it's so white and a particular kind of white that really excludes the vast majority of New Yorkers and women in New York. And I only know that to be true now, Carlos, more than I did before I was on the show, because I was getting women of all colors. I was getting blonde white women. I was getting Middle Eastern women. I was getting Muslim women, Jewish women, Caribbean women, Haitian women saying it was so nice for them to see me on season 13 because they felt finally a woman they could relate to. And again, including some white women. But these were white women that were, frankly, working mm -hmm. attorneys, dentists, dermatologists, you know. So anyways, um, that's that was really my initial take was like, damn, basically, I have to audition for my job again. I have to start over. Yeah, that's how I took it, too. And that's that. And that's facts. Yeah, I, I I took it that way, too. And as somebody, like you said, who's been a part of the Real Housewives orbit for many, many years doing Atlanta and all black cast with one white woman, Kim Zosiak, and then doing New Jersey with an all white cast. Um when I saw this announcement, I'm going to be honest with you. I was taken aback because I think a lot of people who look like you and I felt that, okay, does this mean that, and I'm going to be very honest, 
I felt that, wow, did Ebony shake the table so much that she single-handedly raised the flag to a show that did not represent the diversity that we all know New York has become. And because people, i.e. the audience, have said Ebony ruined the show, not just white folks, some black folks feel the same way too, Ebony. Mm -hmm. We can't fire Ebony because she is the first black housewife of New York City. So we can't get rid of her because we know that she has no connection to these girls. And... Anybody who believes you and Leah in real life would be friends needs to go back to grade school. But we'll talk about that later as well. So instead of causing Black Twitter to set this shit on fire, let's create two separate shows to where we get to keep Black folks happy, that we're going to create a multicultural, diverse show, and then we're going to save Ramona's job by making sure the face of New York City, now that Bethany is gone... Um, we have to save Ramona's job, so we're going to create a show to where the white audience who loves New York and loves to see old white women get drunk and have no storyline, um, we're going to satisfy that audience. That's how I took it. And I felt that if it wasn't for Ebony being on the show, this would have never happened. Well, I, okay, let's start with the last take. Probably. Probably. Right. I, I think that would be disingenuous of me to sit here in conversation with you, Carlos King, and act as if this decision is not the result of just getting to a bridge too far to go with myself as the first black woman on the show and the women who were on the show previously. Um, I, I, I feel like this about it. I feel I was more than willing the whole season. And after we aired and after we wrapped and after the decision to not have a reunion, I was always willing to negotiate with my former castmates about what an ensemble future could look like that included all of us. Always, right up until the very end. They were unwilling, is all I can tell you. <laughs> they were unwilling to come to the table and meet me even halfway in that negotiation. And if you know anything about business, you know, anything about the art of the deal, you can't close that way. You can't close when parties involved in the negotiation are unwilling to give even an inch. So I think that more than anything is actually the reason, Carlos, that we are now getting these two shows. I think if there was a scenario, this is my opinion, mm -hmm. as Tamara <laughs> Judge would say, mm -hmm. I haven't heard this from anybody at the highest levels of executive office, but this is how I read it. If those same former castmates of mine had been willing to enter into the negotiation of coexisting and sharing space with myself and additional women outside of their particular New York world and bubble, you would have had a season 14 that was what everybody anticipated, a proper integration of old school, new school. Because I, I, I do think, and I actually agree I don't know that you would push back on the notion that it's a good thing if you can preserve the nostalgia of a legendary franchise. I agree with that. What I don't, what I don't agree with, though, is, well, let me ask you this. Outside of Sonya Morgan, did the rest of the cast blackball you from continuing this conversation of trying to come together and, and make the show work? Were you blackballed? 
I, I was not black bald. Okay, let me let me let me tell you why I know that for fact. Because if I had been black bald, I would not have been on Watch What Happens Live to promote my network television show that I'm currently on right now as CBS beyond the edge. So I wasn't black. Not black bald by the network, black bald by the cast. Were you, I'm going to be real. Were you black bald by Luann, Ramona, Leah, in terms of not being able to come to the table? They were unwilling to, yes. If you want to call it black bald, I'm not going to, you know, dispute the semantics of that, Carlos. What I am telling you plainly, only Sonia Morgan was willing to come to the table and negotiate a future that involved me as a part of this ensemble. Period dot. Period dot. Woo, child. Let me tell y'all something. This is just the beginning. Stay tuned for more of my conversation with Ebony K. Williams. We'll be right back after some quick ads. This is Reality with the King, and I'm Carlos King. Let's get back to my conversation with Ebony K. Williams and why I'm glad she shook the table, child, on the Real Housewives of New York franchise. Bethany Frankel is the face of the Real Housewives of New York City. She will never go back. She has made that very clear. Ramona was the reason, her and Kenya Moore were the reason Mm -hmm. why Ultimate Girl girls trip was a a a fun show to watch mm-hmm. ramona is entertaining to watch um without ramona i don't think myself and any audience member wants to see dorinda luann kelly ben simone jill zarin and sonia morgan have a kiki without the pot stirrer i believe she will be back that's my opinion no one has told me that i'm just telling you based on my 15 years in this business that's how i that's how i took it and I'll say this much about you. I appreciate that you shook the table at Mm -hmm. the show because it needed to be shaken. That show has not had a storyline in in years. In years. And I felt that as a viewer, we were robbed of seeing the true essence of what caused the divorce between Ramona and Mario and getting Mm. that insight. We've never saw it. I was very interested in seeing what happened with Dorinda and John and seeing how that relationship became what it became. They Mm. never have a storyline. It truly is sex in the city. And that, to me, was the downfall of that franchise. And I appreciated that you came on the show to show a different side of New York City and storytelling when it comes to your search for your father, your identity, the fact that during COVID, you broke up with your fiancé because the brother wanted to Mm -hmm. spend time with his children. But as I was watching it, I kept saying to myself, does Ebony belong on this show? Or do they belong on this show? (laughs) And I think that's, but I think that's what Bravo ultimately is telling us that they concluded that perhaps the time is up for that energy to be at the forefront of the flag, one of the flagship original, because I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. And I love Potomac. It's Potomac's my favorite franchise. Let me be very clear. But when you talk about the kind of crown jewels that established the global phenomenon of, of housewives, you're talking about Atlanta, Orange County, and New York, to an extent, maybe Beverly Hills. That's what we're talking about. I agree with that. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then 
we all love the new iterations of Potomac and um, Salt Lake City and all that jazz. Relatively still new, though. So when you're talking about the really reverenced opportunity to be an Apple holder on Real Housewives of New York City, there's a requirement there. That story, transparency, culturally relevant, finger on the pulse, moving the needle. And I, to your point, as great as the third, I would say about 10 of the 13 seasons I'll were. I'll say seven. Ooh. Because it was only good when Bethany was on. So, and, and, and I'm not a Bethany stan, but I call right. like I said, she was the engine. Yeah, she activated the show. Absolutely. Okay. Ooh, absolutely. that's a good, you better absolutely. work, oh, Ebony K. Williams. Absolutely. Now, one thing I do have is a vocabulary. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> um, but she absolutely activated the show and she brought out the best of the other women in terms of what they offer. So, um, Going back to Bethany and why she's so important and iconic is because she is what you call a force multiplier. I got this term from an NFL coach. A force multiplier is the type of individual you can drop into any scenario and everyone around them comes alive. Everyone around them offers something better, different, stronger, more. Wait, say that word because my gay ass, when you say sports, I tune out. A force multiplier. A force multiplier. So... As a reality TV producer, what Ebony is spitting right now is nothing but the facts. But as a gay man, I never called it a force multiplier because I don't know what that means. It sounds like a... Po- I got it from an NFL coach. Yeah. I was, I, 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 you, know, you know I have a resume. Um, I have a resume, and it includes being also um, a stint in sports casting. And during my stint in sports casting, um, I had a prolific head coach of the NFL talk to me about how... There's a lot of different, it's called like a slot receiver. You know, you just plug and play, the plug and play types. Housewives all across the board are peppered with plug and play types. But the Bethany's, the force multipliers, the, I I believe, Kenya Moore's. You better say it. I believe, you know, I believe Tamara Judge. I believe there's certain uh, Giselle Bryant and Karen. You better wait it up. No one wants to admit that. And, and, and No, Giselle, so are Giselle. And I have no personal relationship with Giselle. I co-hosted um, a chat room one time with the sister and had it a nice time, but that's it. So this is not, that's my girl. I don't know Giselle from very much. But when it comes to her value on the platform, Giselle is a force multiplier. Everyone around her becomes better because of her. 100 percent You don't, you don't, you don't, and, and the thing about this force multiplier, what I always called them was the queen bee. And and I always got in trouble with that because some women are like, I'm nobody's peasant, I'm a queen. We're all queens. I'm a queen. But I'm not gonna say force multiplier when I define the activators on each ensemble because Ebony K. Williams, first of all, I I I have to stop and say this. I thought I knew you. Baby, I did not. But what I already know is most people don't really know me. And I don't fault anyone. I don't fault the public. You know, there was such a limited aspect of who I am demonstrated on season 13 for a variety of reasons. And so that's another reason why season 14 is very important to me. I, I'm going to be real with you. I watch you on season 13, right? And I was like hmm, is she trying too hard to represent the Black woman of New York City? Or, because I'm a producer, is someone telling her that that's 
going to be her position. And I felt that the focus was so much on you educating these white women on the black experience. It took away from what I'm watching now because I was like, Ebony's not a great housewife. She just isn't. And it was no shade to you. It was more so like, I know what a housewife brings. A housewife is somebody that has a delusion of grandeur, um, over the top. I feel horrible for, because if I feel this way, being the king of reality TV, I now know why other people may have felt this way. Because I was like, Ebony isn't a good housewife, but she's a great um, anchor on stuff like The View, because I loved you on The View, and we'll get to that later. After right now, I have the aha moment because I have now realized, and you don't have to confirm or deny this, this is me saying it, I now understand you were put in a box to represent a movement so that other people could say, see, we talked about it, and we, we, we were, we're on the path, and we're a part of the movement. So leave us alone, PR people. Leave us alone, Black Twitter. Instead of saying, why can't we represent Ebony K. Williams on this show the way we did with Garcelle on Beverly Hills? And I now realize in this aha moment, you were never given a fair chance of showing the authenticity of who you are because there was one agenda that was placed on you. And, and the fucked up part about it is you had the black community, the pressures of the black community on your shoulders. And that is not fair to a woman who's walking into 13 years of an established show. So I apologize to you. No apology needed. Um, I receive everything that you offered um, with full and open heart, Carlos. And I'll say this. I went on The Breakfast Club shortly after season 13 started airing. And um, I was at that point in my, I was really hurt by some of the feedback that you echoed um, from my people. The white feedback expect, you know, honey, I was at Fox News for five years. I'm very familiar with white ink. Yes. You know, I'm very familiar. Right. If you've been around the block, aren't we all? So, 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 you know, as I said then, and I'll say it again, you know, I have successfully divorced myself from white comfort and concerns of white um, approval. Period. Doc. When it comes to relationship and acceptance um, by my people, my, my black community and culture, it's very important to me. You know, um, I, I'm having to now as a grown woman who has had a year under her belt and actually a year of a, a season of a show. But if you talk about time, Carlos, you got to remember, we were filming that in like September of 2020. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on like almost almost two years, you know, come this fall Good point. of me being in the reality TV universe. So now I'm a little more experienced when it comes to, okay, this is the press aspect. Okay. This is the social media aspect. Okay. This is the filming aspect. Okay. I'm better able to navigate. Um, so I don't take the shit as personally anymore. So I understand better when I hear black, some of black Twitter, because there's also the other contingency. Mm-hmm. I want to be fair here. For I sure. Get a lot of love from black folk all across the globe. Absolutely. That are like, you know what, sis? 
I might not have even done it the way you're doing it, but I appreciate the work. I see the intention and I recognize um, that you're doing what needed to be done. You're, you are not making, you're not, <laughs> we say this in the South, I'm from the South, Carlos, no cut cards. Yeah. No cut cards with these women. You know, I'm not going to go into a room and say, hey, ladies, um, welcome to dinner. By the way, let's talk about white fragility. But when you show up in a posture of white fragility, you're going to get called up for it. Mm -hmm. You're going to get called up for it. And I say called up instead of called out. That shout out to Queen Monique, the Oscar winning actress, Monique. When it comes to the Real Housewives of New York City, obviously you won't be on the legacy version because that's for the OGs. But oh, yes, I I have to say this. I do believe you will be back. I believe that. And my, I'm very spiritual. And my spirit is telling me you will be back because the one thing about you, you have a very diverse um, friend group. And I, I think you're going to show a side of yourself that me and the audience haven't seen until we saw a glimmer of that when you were on Watch What Happens Live. And what, exactly. was, what was funny about that moment, Ebony, everybody, not just some, I'm going to say everybody watched you on the most recent episode of Watch What Happens Live and fell in love with you. They did. That, that's, that's that. And I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big age. I'm about to be 39 this year. But I would be disingenuous. If I, I didn't say that meant something to me, Carlos, because, again, I am not so badass, tough veneered that love from my people doesn't count to me. Now, I know I'm not going to get love by all the people, and that's okay. But but what's important to me, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation on your platform. I've had this conversation. Well, not this one, because you can't duplicate this. But but I've, I've spoken to this issue. Let me say it that way. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to the issue on other platforms, but none with the impact and reach of what this conversation is going to offer the culture. Um, and so my people and my community, Carlos, understanding the purity of my intention. My intention was never to ruin uh, your entertainment value of Roni. It was never to um, make the show about me. Actually, I'm going to tell you this because I don't produce reality TV, but I do produce content. <laughs> exactly. Work. Produce, actually. Okay. Um, and one thing about it is as a new first year talent, on an ensemble, it, it, I don't think it really should be centered around that individual. Because I think that when you talk about, especially an audience who is so in love with the nostalgia of a 13-year franchise like Roni, it could kind of, the power dynamic of that can be uncomfortable for the audience. So it's like, if I'm tuning in year 13 for Ramona, Sonia, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, that energy, but you're giving me 17 episodes that are predominantly featured around this brand new woman who I'm not in a relationship with yet because I'm just meeting her for the first time. And the, the central conflict is around the, the, the as Du Bois calls it, um, the, you know, the color line is the problem of our century. And as we go into the 21st century, it still is, you know, so you're making it about the tensions of race in America. What did we think was going to happen? What did we think was going to happen? And like you said, Carlos, it wasn't as if I didn't totally open my entire life up for the first time in front of those cameras. And, you know, anybody from production will tell you that it was nothing was no stone left unturned. Understanding my, you know, search for my father. That was not an easy thing to deal with with my mother. Truth be told, you know, I dealt with that. I dealt with the personal ramifications of that choice to do it on that platform. Why? Because so many black 
girls and boys are stigmatized by the, the, the fact that they are fatherless yes. in this country. Yeah. Okay. And as somebody who some look at as aspirational, successful, um, a bit of the American dream, a bit of our ancestor dream, I feel pr- uh, privileged in my position to destigmatize that. To destigmatize, there's nothing wrong with you just because he chose not to be around or you don't know and you have no relationship with him. So that was the point of that. Nobody made space for that, really, Carlos, because they were too preoccupied in and out of the culture with. The conflict, the racial conflict that was existing between myself and the veteran cast members. Yes. And that's my take. No, and your take is is my take. And that's why I stopped watching the show. Me too. Me too. I stopped after um, Black Shabbat. Oh, my gosh. To this day, Carlos King, this is an exclusive. To this day, I have never seen any episode past Black Shabbat. Wow. I echo that same sentiment. Listen, I watch reality TV And I produce reality TV so that people within 42 minutes can just have fun and see the relatability of what people are going through, right? I watch The View every day. And when I watch The View, I learn about politics, policy, world events. And I get that in a way where I'm entertained by it, but at the same time, I purposely am watching The View to understand the world. I don't watch The View to hear Sonny Hostin talk about her chickens or her farm or to hear Joy Behar and Steve because I I don't care. I care about what you guys think about this war in Russia and I care about what you think about world events, right? Yes. So that's why for the longest time, I kept saying to myself, Ebony belongs on The View because when you speak, you hold the captive audience And when you were on The View the first time, yes, honey, because it takes a lot to get on the second time. When you were on The View the first time, I tweeted and said, wow, this is what she is meant to do with her life. This is her calling. Do you feel that your calling is to be on reality TV or to hold a seat, even if it's not The View, but to have a platform a talk platform where you're able to discuss important matters of the world? My answer to that question is yes. The answer is yes, Carlos, to both. Here's why. I feel, going back to God, called. That's, that's you know, when you're from where we're from, called is a very particular thing. One is called to the pulpit. Just as we have been called to occupy the seats that we occupy in this business and it's, and we are doing the work of the culture in it. I know what I've already gone through in my career just to get to, like, it's not an accident when you're the first black woman, they choose to put on the platform for what I now can say retroactively was a demolition of sorts, right? One of my favorite shows is uh, with Chip and Joanna. Oh, yeah. So you know what Chip's favorite day is of the of the arc of the episode? Demolition Day. Yes. Because before you can restructure the home of one's dreams, sometimes it's not enough to just move the furniture. Mm. Sometimes you must demo the whole fucking thing and start over. Come on, Pastor Williams. So this is my prediction, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I believe the reboot of Real Housewives of New York City with the the new cast, I'm going on record saying is going to be you. 
um, and other women. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that that show will go on Peacock. And I believe the legacy show with the OGs would be on Bravo. And this is the reason why I'm saying that. Mm -hmm. I believe, based on the fact that the ratings for this past season of New York City wasn't the greatest, that Bravo is not going to take a chance of putting on the linear network a, a brand new cast hoping to captivate that same audience. So my belief just like what they did with Miami Housewives, which mm-hmm. to me was a smart play. And Miami Housewives is tense across the board, fabulous show. Yes, everyone loves. It's yes. fantastic. I believe because they want to make sure the ratings are great, I believe the New York City Housewives legacy or the OGs will be on Bravo. And I believe this new iteration, i.e. reboot, would be on mm-hmm. Peacock Because what they have shown on Peacock is, since Miami Housewives had some new faces, some familiar faces, the show still worked and was a hit. And I believe they would do that with this reboot. Do you agree or disagree with me? Okay. I disagree, but I'm going to tell you why. I'm with you until we start talking about the ratings discrepancy. Because if you go, like, the ratings were the worst they've ever been season 13 undisputed. But when you look at the numbers and I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a fact-based girl. When you look at the numbers, we were around averaging, I think I I might be off here a little bit precision wise, but it was around 820 ish. Okay. Mm -hmm. They weren't marginally better season 12. The reality is, is the ratings of Roni along with a lot of the, again, older veteran shows have been going down. True. So they were before season 13, the record low for Roni ratings was guess what? Season 12, which was the, you know, also legacy. That that season had Ramona, Duranda, Luann, Sonia, Tinsley. So I don't know that my logic follows okay. that Bravo would assume that just because we put the old gang back together again, that that means ratings go because it didn't mean ratings gold in season 12. It just didn't mean that. Um, I, I concur that the new iteration, the reboot, whoever's on it is high risk. We don't know who's going to watch that show, but I would offer you this Carlos King. This is my business mind taking my personal investment in, you know, wanting to be able to be a part I, a for the first time. And I'm going to tell you this season 13. Um, cause somebody asked me this, did I want to be a housewife? I don't know that I really gave a damn about being a housewife as much as I gave a whole lot of dams about being a important representation of black womanhood on a global iconic platform. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted for season 13. Now a bitch is old. (laughs) Outside is open. I want to be a housewife. I can tell you that. I love your honesty. Yeah. I want to be a housewife. Now I'm kind of bought into the, the whimsicalness of that part of it now in a way that not to say that my job here is done. You know, I represented the great black woman and now that part's over. I'm always going to be a great black woman. That's who I am. That's what I'm called to do, honey, in all spaces. Amen. However, however, um, fuck yeah, I want to have fun. I want to, I mean, I just want to, I want to look, and I did give looks in season 13. Oh, the Gucci Dapper Don jacket, mama. You wore your confessionals. Work. Work. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like I didn't have some of those aspects already on lock. 
but you're going to get even much more of that in, uh, in another um, iteration of me and, and my crew. You're going to see my world. That's what season 14, if I am invited to that reboot, would look like. And I think this is important too, Carlos, just to, to, to this point, we'll move on, is that, um, oh, business argument. If you are a Roni watcher and you watch Roni for the nostalgia of the OGs, likely you're going to watch the reboot regardless of where it lives. I think. Okay. Right. 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 And if you're that person that's like, oh, I hate Ebony and she ruined the show. And I don't watch for race. You're not going to watch that mindset is not watching a diverse reboot of Roni, no matter who's on it, no matter who's on it, because they are not interested in that new New York. They are interested in the old guard, stuffy, particularly white version of New York. So that's like a zero, net zero to me. So then you've got the other viewer who likes the nostalgia, but is like, that's not New York, you know, and that person is likely already in a relationship with me, probably had appreciation. They would be in that chorus of people, Carlos, that had appreciation for me, the glimpse of me they saw, the more of me they saw and watch what happens live. So if I'm, you know, making sense of all of this, why wouldn't I continue the relationship that's already been established and, and consider building a fuller cast around a woman who's clearly at the center of media elite in New York, of cultural integration and intersection, and is on the cusp of making massive life decisions concerning baby, man, and money. It just makes sense to me. No, and that's, I agree 100%. And that's the reason why I said you will be back. Because at the end of the day, no, and, and listen, I create shows for a living. I, for example, Love and Marriage DC is a new franchise from my highly successful Love and Marriage Huntsville. I knew if I was going to give the audience a brand new franchise, give them a familiar face. That's why I'm saying to you, if you're going to give me a brand new New York, you're going to give me a familiar face. And you are that familiar face. And I do believe you will get that. But let me ask you this. Have you submitted friends yet to them? We are, um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you everything, Carlos. I know. But I will tell you, um, only because Andy, you know, acts to me, you know, kind of smartly and understandably made a open plea. To say basically any woman in New York, if you think that you have the curated cast of women that we want, this is represents your friend group. Come one, come on. It was an altar call, basically. We want to go back to that. <laughs> Andy, Andy did a full on altar call. Come on. And you better believe you better believe because I work. Yes, I am over here as we speak in. Um, in I'm in work mode. I am going through. My actual, t and I'm not going through Instagram. I'll tell you this part of my curation because Instagram is that's, you know, that's hundreds of women. Mm -hmm. I'm going through my text messages. I'm going through women because I actually am, um, I keep a tight circle. I have lots of women I know in New York, lots of women I appreciate in New York, Carlos. But when it comes to, you know, who I'm actually going to put a bra on for <laughs> and go out my house <laughs> with by choice with no check attached. That's a small group of women. They just happen to be fantastic. Like, obviously, you saw the dinner, you know, the dinner with Bevy. You know, when Bevy Smith calls, you go. I didn't ask no questions. I didn't ask who was going to be there. Does it, it's Bevy's dinner. So you already know the guest list is on lock. So 
that represents, you know, the, the, the social dynamics in which I am blessed to be a part of. Would you want Bashan back on the show? Listen, I, you know, no cut cards. I don't personally have a relationship with Bershawn Shaw. But as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I think Bershawn Shaw is a woman who has a lot to offer. I actually interviewed Bershawn in my um, capacity as a journalist for OWN, like back when her previous reality show was on air, Love in the City, I believe. Correct. Um, so I, I have no wish but positive. I'll tell you what I told Bershawn the last time we had any direct communication, which was a long time ago. I wish Bashan first and foremost health, prosperity, um, and happiness. And if that for her is this platform, Godspeed. You two Godspeed. aren't friends, though. No, we've never, and we've never been friends. That's the thing. So mm-hmm. it's not messy. It's not. Right. It's not that we were. We were cast. The cat's out the bag now. You know. No, I know. Um, you to me, it has been. You and Bershawn yeah. weren't friends. You and Leah were not me friends. Me and Leah were not friends. And guess who else wasn't friends? Bershawn and Ramona were not friends. I know that girl. Okay. And I know. Right? And I know Bershawn. <laughs> and, right. and, and, so, and, and I know the game. I, I Trust me. I see. I saw all of that as a way but of. But that's why that didn't work. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That, that, that whole, like, we're going to take this cast from season 12 and we're going to identify two exceptional. And I'll give, absolutely, not even having to be friends with her. Bershawn is an exceptional black woman. Yeah, yeah. of course. Absolutely. So what they did was they identified two exceptional black women, which don't get me started. You know, this is the narrative that happens in America where black women have to be what? What are we seeing with the Supreme Court? We have to be what? Overqualified. The two most educated people um, that appeared on your screens last season for Real Housewives of New York were myself with a doctorate and Brashawn with her master's degree from Syracuse. Baby, don't play with us. OK, so when it comes to credential and qualifications, we were overqualified to be amongst those particular women. I could not agree more. You know, and that's why it was a lot of tension and power dynamics, you know, and Bershawn and I did when we were filming have this conversation, which is like, it's it's rather odd that we are kind of being asked to a little bit kiss the ring and, you know, kind of um, sing for our supper and be invited apart. Bitch, you know, are you kidding me? When From our respective worlds, because Bershawn and I don't really necessarily socialize and, and no the shade to Bashan or you you two are from two different generations total total two different generations and two different social circles absolutely there's some over there's some overlap but but different because the black community in New York City is is kind of small so I can see the overlap but and and I'm saying there's no I know but I've known Bashan for a few years and I've I've known you courtesy obviously Dustin Ross is a friend of mine yes, you know what yes, I mean and and yes. so many people love you so you know we live in different worlds we live in different worlds way different worlds however as different as our worlds are the thing that our worlds share is an appreciation for certain what I call Carlos um, cultural currencies societal currencies by way of aesthetic education class and demeanor, you know, like there's a, so you know, and that's really what housewives is supposed to be about. I don't have to tell you, you graded the blueprint. It's really should be a, an interesting observation of the interplay of women, all kind of clamoring slash negotiating whose social order matters most. Who's the prettiest, the richest, the, you know, best husband, cutest fucking kids, kids doing the best in school, that kind of shit. I just had a so let's moment. motherfucking go. Let's, let's go. go. And guess what? My production company should should produce the reboot of Real Housewives of New York City. What? 
because you need somebody who understands the assignment, Fans. who made Atlanta Housewives the juggernaut that it is. And I know how to produce a diverse cast. I did Jersey. I did Atlanta. I would You love- worked with Dorothy on Jersey? Did you work with Dorothy? Oh, um... I, she I, came I after did, you? She came after me. Yeah. Okay. I did the first okay. two seasons of Jersey, which right. are the best. Um, so <laughs> I'm saying... But they're certainly iconic. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I concur. I'm saying, because the production company who produces Real Housewives of New York City, they've been producing that show since season one. And I feel like they understand the old guard of that show. And for this le- for this new iteration of New York City... You need somebody younger, fresher, and who's able to work with Ebony K. Williams and her friends to really make that show pop. So I think you and I together will make a great team, and I'm putting my bid in. I, Carlos King, would love to produce Real Housewives of New York City reboot, and I never thought about that until now. Until this moment. Until this mm. very moment. So when people ask me to go back to Atlanta Housewives, and I said all the time, I've done it. I excelled. I left on a high. I'm good in the hood. But if you want yeah. my company to produce it, we can have a conversation because you never turn down a meeting. I am now on the record. Part. I yes. left the Housewives franchise six years ago. Mm. I am going on record saying I would love to produce the reboot of New York City. Well, I, you know, I can't say anything on record about that. However, I can say this. What I think will be required of the, ne- the, 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 the the production of the new reboot, whoever they decide to go with, is a visceral or ne- uh, organic understanding of the full value socially and culturally of the women on the show. And that takes you can't teach that. No, you have that's a lift. That's a particular lived experience, Carlos King. Right that understands innately when a Candy Carter walks in the room, what that means. When a Desiree Rogers walks in a room, what does that mean? Certain women in the Latina community, when they walk in a room, what does it mean? If it's Angie Martinez, if it's this woman from Wall Street, you see what I'm saying? I know that what you're understand saying. Understand the full scope of basically who the fuck that is. And that's going back to season 13. That was part of the problem. And see, this is, you talk about uh, you know delusions of grandeur. Not delusions, just I, I know who I am and I know whose I am. Amen. And part of the problem with my castmates, they never knew who I was, Carlos. But they know now. So for this new reboot, because I'm I, like I said, you're going to be on it. I would love to see your mom. Um, are you dating anybody? Because I want to see you with a man, honey. I want to see you with a man dating or are you in a relationship? Okay, I am currently actively dating in New York. I actually hired a matchmaker, which is something that I, I would love to really talk to women about, especially black women and women of color. Um, I have now hired someone, a firm, to support my journey to love and marriage. And it's a very interesting process that I knew nothing about before this experience. It was quite a pretty penny, but it has been, it's been worth it for me. So I hope you guys loved the conversation that I had with Ebony K. Williams as much as I did. Because look, your boy went in to this interview thinking one thing. And I left this conversation having a newfound love, admiration, and respect 
Upper Ebony. I must say I really did. And the beauty of our conversation is the fact that I now believe she really would make a great reality star. Ain't that something? (laughs) But look, that's why it's important for me to have these conversations on my podcast because I believe and know that the conversations that I'm having with the reality stars and reality star lovers is an opportunity for all of us to get to know these women and these men on a level that we once never understood. And this conversation that I just had with Ebony K. Williams, I literally had what Oprah Winfrey calls a aha moment. And I realized how she was never given a fair chance to be a housewife because of this unspoken agenda that was placed on her. Um, Wow. I I mean, look, honestly, y'all, I'm still in awe of that conversation. And trust me when I say this will not be the last we see of Ebony on reality TV and specifically on the Real Housewives franchise. Because in my opinion, I think Bravo would be at a loss if they did not bring Ebony back to the reboot of the Real Housewives of New York City because I definitely think there's more to her that we haven't seen yet. Make sure you watch her on CBS's Beyond the Edge and follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Ebony K. Williams. If you have a question for me or any of your favorite reality TV personalities, like Ebony, leave a voicemail at 310-593-8188, and I just might play it on the show. Thank you for listening to Reality with the King. New episodes drop every Wednesday and Friday. Share, comment, follow, and subscribe to Reality with the King wherever you get your podcast. Visit realitywiththeking.com and be sure to follow me at thecarlosking underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Tweet me your thoughts and hot takes about this episode using the hashtag RealityWithTheKing. Reality with the King is a production of More Sauce by Stitcher. It is executive produced by me, Carlos King, and Jasmine Henley-Brown. We are also produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, engineering and music by Marcus Ham. More sauce. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.